Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Are you ready? Okay, great. That's good. He is the image of the invisible God. So he's talking about Jesus. He's in the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created, things in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers, rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. I don't know how many all things there are in that particular, but I think it's all. Does all include you? He made all things and in him all things hold together. He made you and actually if he didn't sustain you, you would disappear into nothingness. Uh, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. So he rose from the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Now remember this is talking about a physical person, Jesus who we know about, who made everything, sustains everything, and in his physical body, the fullness of deity dwelt. So somehow, mysteriously, as he walked the planet, he was also sustaining the planet upon which he walked. Somehow, while he was a babe in his mom's womb, he was still, and when he was there in that manger, he was still sustaining the planets and the universe. The creator of it all was born in a manger and he sustained it all while still being completely human. This is stunning, isn't it? And it has to mean something. It has to mean something. It's not just a great conceptual idea that people in church believe that God created the world and sustains it. That's their theory. That's their opinion. No, actually it's not a theory. It's a reality. If that reality is true, it means that every cell in your body exists only because God is holding it in its place. Now, all right, this isn't a theory, this is an actual reality that we are living in. And God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself. Here we go again. All things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Jesus took God to the cross. Jesus took God to the grave. Jesus took God to hell. Let me say it again. Jesus took God to the cross. Jesus took God to the grave. Jesus took God to hell. Something had to give. In him, the fullness of the deity lived in bodily form. That body, that 100% human body was whipped it was crucified it was plunged into a grave it did go into the darkest places of the earth it suffered it it he suffered and in him in this all things that are happening the fullness of deity is still living on the cross he's still keeping the planet spinning he's still holding your your cells together i thought that was Exciting. Paul says that in Galatians, he says, I have been crucified in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And later in Colossians, it says that all the fullness of deity dwelt in him, and you have now been given fullness. Jesus took you into his death so that he could be, you could be partnered with him in his life. He came down to where we were so that he could take us to where he is. I told you the story last couple of weeks ago. I'll just repeat. I had this whole season of, of encounters, and really, what I'm sharing with you is the fruit of the, the study that followed the encounters, which I didn't understand. So I've begun to, and one of them was was this moment in the, in the gym where I heard the voice of the Father like echoing inside me. I'm, I'm on this spin bike, sweating. All I'm thinking about is getting through this class, and I'm I'm using all my energy, and suddenly I hear. The Father so clearly, this voice so clearly resonates through my whole being going, Andy, Andy. And I'm sitting up on the bike and I'm like, I expect other people to have heard the voice, but they didn't. They're all just sweating away like I was. And I get home and I thought, what was that? And I looked at it, I studied it. I find encounters make me go back to the scripture. I look at it and they said, I said, why God... You spoke to me. I felt you speak to me. I heard you speak to me. But it still wasn't that external voice. I longed to hear like he's there and he speaks. And then I hear. I've heard him like resonating in my being. And I said, why do you not do that? And he says, because that would just reinforce the, the false idea that I'm separate from you. You would always think I'm over there rather than I'm just right here. Jesus did everything to end separation. He joined himself to us in our humanity, that we would be joined to him in his divinity, and we have life in him forever. He's down here with us where we are, and we're up there with him where he is. There is no separation ever. I went through this time and, and this, this thought, this idea that he never pulls away. He's never absent. He's never not connected. Paul said it. The life I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. He lives in me. And he never has a day off. I realized that in my worst moods, he was still there. In my most forgetful state where I maybe hadn't prayed, he was still there. And I realized even more than that, it wasn't just that he was still there. He still liked being still there. He wasn't putting up with me. He's actually proud of me. So, well, you know, he doesn't know what I've done. But the thing is, he does. He's intimately acquainted with every thought 
with every emotion, with every intention, with every action, he really knows you and he really knows me and he knows I'm not perfect and still he stares like, I'm cheering you on. We know the verses. He wants us to experience the truth. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not freely give us all things with him? And he died for us when we were in a mess. He connected himself to us when we were sinners. If while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, how much more is the grace of God released to us now we're in him? When he came in a human body, he came to a normal human body. He came to an imperfect human body. He came to a fallen human body. And he dwelt 100% God in man. Why would he have a problem dwelling in you all the time? Or me all the time? He doesn't. He loves you. Nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. Nothing. Nothing you can imagine. Even nothing you can't, you can't imagine can separate you from who he is and his love for you. And, and last time I spoke, we covered some of this. I'm just trying to recover some ground. <laughs> Sometimes as we've, we've sort of taught here, we, we've tried to emphasize this idea that we have been seated with him. We're raised up with him. We've emphasized this Incredible reality that he has put us in heavenly realms. He has made us alive to the spirit realm. He has made, he's seated us with him over all rule, power, and authority. He wants us to be aware of where we are in him. But he also wants us to be aware that where he is alive with us. In the kitchen. In the school, fixing the car. He's as alive and as dynamic and as living and as for you as when you have a moment to think and feel like maybe you are in heavenly places. There's no separation. We've been taught somehow instinctively that there's separation and there is none. He reconciled all things to himself. That's what we just read. Things in heaven and on earth, you live in one of those realms, don't you? You have been reconciled by what he did on the cross. This amazing act, it wasn't just for individual salvation, he actually reconciled all things to himself. Amazing, incredible, it's a reality. It's the way things actually are, not a theory that we could adopt. not a speculation this is how it is we live in a universe reconciled to God through the cross well that's just your opinion no that's what the Bible says it's what Jesus says about what he did he says he's with you and in you in every cell of your being that your members are his literally 1 Corinthians 6 you look it up your organs are Jesus' organs. 
your limbs. Just look at, look at a limb. You can't see your organs, they're internal. But look at your limb. That's, that's a Jesus finger you're looking at. Well, that's an Andy Merrick finger. Yes, but it's also a Jesus finger. How do you know that, Andy? Because it tells me that I am a, my members are his members. And actually, the, the revelation comes a couple of times in Scripture, but it comes in the negative because he's dealing with sin in the church and he's dealing with a guy who's sleeping with the wrong people. And he says, how can you join Christ to a prostitute? And like, he says, you are members. Physically, you are joined. And when you join you in that unholy union, you're including Jesus in it because all your organs are his organs. All of them. Men. Isn't that incredible? Now, this again, this is not a theory. This is how it is. We are members of Jesus. So I'm looking at Mary Lou Jesus. I'm looking at Andy Fulton Jesus. Yes, they're Mary Lou's fingers, but they're also Jesus' fingers. He's in your fingers. How are we doing out there? You're more than the usual level of quietness. Please, please talk to me. It's lonely up here. Thanks. Hello. Hello at the back. Wave. Do something. Yeah, but it's his church. No, church is not separate from God or normal life. <laughs> all right. We need to. Yeah, that was kind of intro. All right. You okay with intro? Yeah. Some things just don't make sense. What does this mean? It means that there's no place, there's no person, there's no demonic situation, no dark pain where he isn't already. Now, you may not feel it, see it, or understand it, but that's okay. And part of the reason you don't feel, see it, or understand it is because we've been taught forever that he probably isn't. And just as those of you remember when you become a Christian, you're living like he isn't there and you're getting on with life. It's only that moment of belief, of faith, of the light going on and you encounter Jesus and you, you surrender to him, you give your life to him. Suddenly, you start to believe things are true that you didn't believe was true before and that affects your reality, your experience of reality and how you live. Is that, is that fair? Yeah? Well, this is the same. If you believe something... You live in the, in the confines of the reality that you believe. But one of the things God is doing in these days is helping us realize who we are in him and who he is in us and breaking the confines of the old reality which said he was somehow distant from us, particularly if we're in pain, difficulty, trauma, or whatever. Or there are dark places in the world where he isn't. We have to take him there. No, he's already there and we're going there to help them realize. He's already been to hell and back and won. 
I said something had to give. Jesus put God in death, in hell, and guess what happened? He rose from the dead. There is no new battle to happen. There's no final tussle between, death, between evil and good. It already happened at the cross and he won. There's just lots of people that don't realize that he won and don't realize how profound, significant, and all-embracing the win was. That's our job. <clears throat> oh, I'm so excited by this. There's no place he isn't. This means... Historically, I think as believers, we've been superficial about pain. Sometimes we've been scared of, of pain, scared of abuse, scared of demons, scared of demonization, scared of sin. And we become hopeless when we're confronted by it. But if he's already there, we're already winning. He isn't scared of any of it because he's already conquered all of it and put his light inside the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It may look dark, but to him, even darkness looks like light. It's just the perspective that we currently hold is God wouldn't go anywhere near darkness. I mean, God's light and he's holy and he's beautiful and where there's darkness, that means he's over there and I've got to bring him into the darkness or I've got to get rid of the darkness so that he can come in. No, what this is telling us is already inside the darkness. You don't need to invite him. He already invaded it when he came to earth as a human being. He already invaded it when he died on a cross. He already invaded it when he was, became sin for us. He invaded the darkest place. He's not scared of darkness. He's not removed from you in dark spots, in dark moods, in dark places. Even if you can't see him, feel him, that doesn't mean he's not there. He gave it all so that he could be there. He gave it all not to be with you when you're happy, although he is, but actually to be with you when you're not happy. That's where we need the help. There is no time, there is no place, there is no mood that I am in where he is not intensely delighted in me in a unique and special way. There is no time, there is no mood I can be in. There is no place I, I can be. There is no mental state that I can be in. There's nothing that can happen that means he's not delighted in me in a unique and special way. Even when you're angry at him, he likes you. <laughs> this is good news. Is this, not, is this good news? Could, could, be, could get happy on some of this news. Rather than like, well, Andy, you sure it's true? I'm sure this is true. This can't be true of you. Yes, it is true of you. You see, the cross did all the heavy lifting for your salvation. Hmm. He's already incorporated you into his reality in heaven. And he's joined you in yours on earth. So he drinks your coffee there's health from him inside your flu. He's in you at work. He's in your hands, in your brain. 
For us, it's about realizing the extent of the incredible thing that he did at the resurrection for all of us. We are members of him, our limbs and our organs. You know, there's a liver for Jesus right here. This is a pretty cool Jesus kidneys right there. Alan's got a Jesus kneecap. It's easy for Jesus to heal his knees because he's in them. I could never heal my knees. My knees have been so bad for so long, but he's already in your knees. Just look at your knees and go, Jesus is in my knees. Jesus, do the thing you can do. Well, I couldn't do that as church. No, that's what you're supposed to do in church. Realize he's already here. <clears throat> All right, I have, now have a seven-point sermon. <laughs> Hug somebody, stay warm, because we'll get it done in 20 minutes. You okay? Seven things. Hopefully get them done. Nobody's hugging anybody. Just, just, you're obviously all warm enough. Hug your husband. Hug your wife. Hug your friend. Hug the person you'd like to be your friend. <laughs> okay. Here's some arenas in which we have embraced and at times believed and operated out of a separation mindset in the way that we function. Is that, is that okay? Uh, that God is on the move and working to see us join it all back up. Number one is worship. We don't worship because he's not here and we're trying to persuade him to come. We don't worship because we have to get amped up enough to be ready to have some sort of feeling and communion with him. Amen. We're not trying to get revved up. We're not trying to get him revved up. We're not trying to persuade him to be here. We're not trying to persuade ourselves to be there. <laughs> None of that is the function of worship if he's already... We are in union, constant, persistent, unbreakable union with Jesus. So there's no mountain to climb. There's no river to cross. Some of the stuff we sing sounds more like, to me, like those plaintive American blues slash country songs about how my lover left me and I need to find him and invite him back. He's like, oh, Jesus, I do love you. Will you come to me in my misery? Oh, Jesus, would you deign to be present? I'm feeling grim, but I invite you in, kind of. It could be a hit, that one. It could be a hit, sadly. Jesus, will you come? Oh, please, will you come? He came. It's like getting to the top of a mountain and not realizing you're there. You're, like, you're still on the stepper. He's like, hello, I'm here. Yes, but I need to find you. He's like, I already found you. I love that song we were singing earlier, but I'd like to change some of the words. Like, the more I seek you, the more you find me. I think that's kind of... So seeking God is good, but actually he's already found you. What happens in the seeking is you realize where he is already. Worship is like... 
as the powerful realization of his present love and joy. It's the awareness of the Trinity's dance within us and around us that we're invited into. And is always present. It's just at times we don't fully aware of it. We've drawn on so many old covenant ideas into the new that we've made worship. These steps that we take, these gates we walk through, these, these things we have to declare. Blah, 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 you know, he's here. Worship is, is here. We enjoy him. We celebrate him, we bless him, we thank him for who he is and what he's done, but we're not twisting his arm and neither, neither does he need us to kind of get warmed up because he already raised us from the dead. I think that's warmed up. <laughs> I know that it, it, our emotions and our, our thinking, our thoughts are kind of tuning in. I get that, but that's not the same as bridging a gap. That's just us in our, in our inner person kind of tuning in to the reality that is there. Not It may feel like you're moving towards him, but actually what you're doing is realizing you're in him. It's a different thing. So worship, we sing all kinds of songs that tell us that we're inviting him in, we're pressing in, we're pursuing, we're, we're hoping he is, we're hoping he likes us, we're hoping he sees us, we're hoping he shows up, we're still climbing the mountain with our hands wide open, and a lot of it is not true. <laughs> Just to put a point on it, let's stop singing things that aren't true. It may feel true, it doesn't make it true. Yes, but what about James? James 4 says that we draw near to God and he draws near to us. And lots of songs pull on that verse, but they don't read the context. Sing me James 4 in context, I'll be happy. Because what it says before the bit that we quote is that he's put his spirit in us and he jealously yearns over that spirit to be made welcome. It's a union verse. He's saying you're already united, so draw near to what's real. Allow what he's put in you to take over you. Humble yourselves enough so that you yield to the presence of God who is already there. You see, when it's down to our effort, we can take some pride in, well, you know, I shouted louder, I worshipped longer, and so I had a great experience. No, he died a horrible death so that you could have a great experience. You'll never be as spiritual as some of those guys because, you know, they just fasted and prayed and then they came to church and they fell on their knees and they sang so loud and then they had this beautiful encounter. I could never do that. Well, maybe, maybe he did the work. If you think they're getting that because they work for it, you've not understood the cross. He did the heavy lifting for you. You may wander in off the street, a bit you know, blitzed because the kids woke you up all night. You're thinking, you know, oh, I just feel so unspiritual. I haven't had time to pray. I haven't had time to prepare. I haven't had time to even think there is a God. But you can whammo, know that he's right here, right now. No effort on your part. Just tune in to who he is inside of you and who he is around you. Yeah. There's no separation. Even when you've got to wake up feeding a baby, no separation. It's junk, this idea that somehow he's not present at any point. And particularly in our difficulties and our stresses and our strains where we feel like he's a million miles away, that's when it's absolutely you need to know he's there. <sighs> ah. 
I've got on to number two. A daily relationship with the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Our tendency is to constantly, I do this in my prayer life. God, I just want to invite you in. Will you just come and help me in this problem? Will you? Hello? Who else prays like that? Just to make me feel better. Just, yeah, it's, ten people were honest. <laughs> just because we're not conscious of him doesn't mean he's stepped away, he's gone to the loo, he's become unavailable, he's preoccupied with the next door neighbor who has a bigger problem than you. Well, you forgot me today, so, you know, I've just forgotten about you. Just, if you're going to have, play that kind of game with me, I'm Father God here, but you, if you're not thinking about me, I'm not going to think about you. <laughs> when you've thought about me for a little bit, then I might think about you for a bit. And then when, then when you've really prayed, like, like you really mean it, prayer, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I might get a bit closer to you then. And, and you know that problem you wanted me to fix? I need at least two days of decent praying. Then, then, then I might do something for you. But, you know, this ignoring me, being preoccupied with, with all that stuff in your life, you think I'm going to help you in that? You've got another thing coming. That's not Father God. If that's what's in our heads, that's the devil's idea of who God is. He's not mean, vindictive. He's with you and for you in every situation, eager to bless and fix it. It's like on tiptoe. Ask me, ask me, ask me, ask me now. I know you feel crap. That's why you need to ask me now. <laughs> ask me, go on, ask me, ask me. You're a bit like a willing little dog. Go, throw the stick, throw the stick. <laughs> Sorry, Father, you know what I'm trying to do here. Because <laughs> you're not always conscious of him doesn't mean he stepped away, got bored with you. That's not what he's like. Let's kill that sacred cow of our horror idol that God's somehow vindictive or capricious. That's Greek thinking. Their gods were capricious. Our God's a father who intensely loves us all the time, no matter how bad it is in your life. He's on, and he's love, and he's for you, and he's embracing you. And even in those dark little bits you haven't told anybody about, he's going, I love you right here. Oh, it feels better getting out. I've been thinking about this for so long. Jesus, I have been vitally, and you have been vitally and concretely grafted into the tangible bliss of the Godhead. Jesus is the high priest of bliss. I know you really are making it up. No, I'm actually quoting Hebrews 9.11. Jesus is the high priest of bliss. And you've been grafted into that. Well, it doesn't say that in my translation. But there is a Moffat translation. And the Greek thing going on with that word means... (laughs) If you were a Greek scholar, you'd agree with me straight away, I know. (laughs) As it is... It's just true. <laughs> Hebrews 9:11 and other God you know if God wasn't excited, happy, joyful, blissful, you wouldn't actually even exist. If God was bored, boring, unloving, uncaring, disinterested, 
and not having a great time, he wouldn't have created anything. Because he would have thought, who the heck else wants to join in with this load of crap? God is excited about himself. He loves himself. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. The Spirit loves them all. They all love the Spirit. They're all having a great old party time. They're saying, this agape thing, so God is love, agape. Agape is other person-centered, so it's not possible that God is not three in one. So monotheism has to also be Trinitarianism. Otherwise, you can't have a God who is love because love is other person focused. So the Father loves the Son. Son loves the Father. Spirit, are you with me? So there's this love thing going on in the Trinity and they're all having, getting their groove on and having a good time together and looking at each one another and going, this love thing is supposed to spill out, isn't it? Because we're having so much fun. Why don't we share it with, let's share it with the cosmos. Let's share it with the universe. Let's share it with other people that look like us because this is... That, They'll want this because this is awesome. We are awesome. We love one another. We're having a party. We're singing. We're just celebrating. We're spinning around under intoxication of a strong emotion. It actually says that God does that in the Bible. So let's get some people in the party. Boom, creation. And then all these lies come in and say, oh, God is boring. God's crossing me. God's just standing in a... No, he's, he's crafted in. We, Jesus is the high priest of bliss. Honestly, God, guys, this is such good news. <laughs> I'm continually celebrated, welcomed, and rejoiced over by my Father. Good days or bad days makes no difference to him. <clears throat> Problems, number three. We touched on this already. We asked God to come to our problems. That's okay, but he's already there. He's already camped out in the middle of your debt, your problem with your boss, your neighbor, your internal issues. He's already there. He's already for you. He's already got a plan. He's already on the move. And you don't have to beg him to be there. Lord, we just want to pray for our brothers and sisters who uh, have got this challenge in their life. Father, we just, just pray. We just pray. We love that word, just, don't we? Like, God. God, we don't want to bug you with too much, so we always put just in in case you're just too busy doing just some other things. So just do this. Just, just do this for us, and then we won't be disappointed. Just be with just be with brother, sister, so-and-so. And he's like, yeah, I did that already. <laughs> Pray something else. Because I, I already did that. What do you mean? I did what? I already, I'm, already, I'm already there. I, already did, I, I actually did that a long time ago. So uh, it's great that you want me to be there, but I'm already there. Can we move on in the request? Oh God, yeah, but just be with us. He is! <laughs> I love Genesis 5.20. Lots of us doing the Bible reading plan. A summary verse for the Bible, I think. <laughs> oh God, we can do this for three. <laughs> yeah, 
You know, Joseph has been in prison and he's been wrongly accused and he's all that goes on. And then finally his brothers and his family, he's stated as second in the land and his family and his brothers come. And the whole thing is the last chapter of Genesis. And he says this to themselves, you, in, you planned this for evil, but God planned it for good. Same word in the Hebrew. God's plans trump man's plans, even if man's plans are for evil. So God's, God's sovereignty works like this. You can do what the heck you like, but he's going to make sure that the outcome is what he wants. Go figure. That's the goodness of God in the Bible. What the devil intended for evil, God has turned for good in Jesus Christ. Jesus was always the plan. It wasn't a, oops, there's a fall. That was also a really good point. <laughs> All right, we might have to just cut it down to a shorter message. See, God is good. <clears throat> so we've established that there's no separation in worship. There's no separation in our daily life. There's no separation from our problems. There's no separation... In our pain. Pain is a strange thing inside of human beings because we do anything to get rid of it, dull it, mask it, hide it. It, it drives us crazy. It drives us to do things because we just like to get rid of it. It's, it's the cause of a great deal of addiction. Um, and the worst thing to think, feel is alone in your pain and like no one understands and no one wants to be close. And pain can have got there through all kinds of horrendous, horrible, abusive, nasty things that happened to you, through you. It's not nice, is it? Pain hurts, pain drives you, pain, pain fuels all kinds of things that sometimes we'd rather not be doing. Where do you think Jesus is? Is Jesus afraid of our pain? Is he removed from our pain? Does he not like us when we're in pain? Does he run away from our pain because he doesn't know what to do with it? Is he so holy he can't touch pain because pain would contaminate him? I don't think so. I think, I think God's holiness contaminates everything it touches. Remember Jesus in the law it said don't touch, don't touch the leper because you'll be contaminated by it. Jesus healed every leper he touched. He reached out to their pain. He touched the pain and the pain went away. Some of our challenges, we, we, we actually think God's scared of our pain. He doesn't have an answer for our pain. I honestly, truly believe he's already there. Deepest, darkest spot. You may not feel it, may not see it. In fact, sometimes you can't see it. It doesn't mean he's not there. 
And not only does it not mean, is he there, is there willing to work for his good pleasure. He's, he's working with you, he's working for you from the inside out. And he will use skilled people, wise people, counselors, therapists, healers, doctors, sozo prayers. He will use everything and partner with them to help you realize and get free from your pain and realize that he's pushing from the inside and underneath where you can't see him to see you in a healthy, happy place. Some, I've been experimenting with this. Often I would, if I was having a crap day or feel, feeling crappy, my solution for years has been, right, I've got to pray, I've got to worship, I'm going to stand, I'm going to sing about the goodness of God till I start to feel better on the inside. That I've done that for years and I recommend it, it's a good thing to do. But recently what I've been doing is going, like, I feel really bad, God. What you're showing me is you're already in and behind the bad feeling even if I can't see it. Will you help me? tune into your mood rather than mine and what you find is as that face starts to activate inside you, you go like oh 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 there is a river flowing inside me I just forgot oh 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 some pains are a lot harder than that and some of us need help to get through all that but basically he's yearning to release his his river inside you to be released and full and wonderfully flowing because then his solution isn't to stop people doing bad things to us because that would mean controlling them. His solution is that he can heal every bad thing that has been done to us so that we don't reproduce bad things. Pain begets pain. Anger begets anger. But his solution, the cross, he bore our suffering. All right? He bore our sorrows. He's a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We thought he was afflicted by God, and, but he was afflicted with our afflictions. That we could live in newness of life. He is the hope for all pain. No matter how it caused, no matter how deep it is, he's not apart from you he's not scared of it he's not stepped away from you and even when it makes you do bad things he's still hugging you celebrating you blessing you because he sees we've taught this here before he sees the real you and he's pulling the real you to the fore he made you awesome long before everything went wrong He knows who you really are better than you do and he's never going to give up on you and calling out the glory that he's made to dwell inside of you and in the process healing the sore spots and the pain that may hinder the display of who you really are. He's a beautiful saviour. He's done it all. He's connected to us. He's in us. He's on us. He's for us and he'll never leave us or forsake us. We all know all those verses, but it actually, they're not just good ideas. They're really true. Christianity isn't a bunch of great theories we all shout and believe on a Sunday. They're actually really true. Jesus is connected to us. In the same way that your liver is his liver, your feelings are his feelings. He feels them. He sees them, and he's working to change them.
We've got two minutes, I think, Andy. Just, just to sort of finish this, what happened in church and in Christianity is emotion got separated from God. Like, love is a duty, it's just something you do. Even try explaining to a non Christian what joy is without using the words laughter or happy. But somehow I've had chats with Christians, it's like joy can't be those things. It's deep and it's invisible and it's spiritual. No, no, joy isn't invisible. We've separated the emotion from the thing. God's love drove him to give himself because he felt something for us. Do, do, Do you see? When we say he cares about us, it's not just a state of fixed state of mind. It's not like he just he's going to do caring things because he's a caring God. He really actually is moved with compassion about our condition. Shall we? I, I'm, I'm out of time. So let's. He's not separate from how we feel. He's not separate from our bodies. He's not separate from our minds. He's not separate from our situations. He's not separate from our pains. He's not separate from the earth. He's not separate in worship. He's not separate tomorrow morning. Let's stand together. And let's just on the inside and verbally maybe just say yes to the Jesus that is in us. Yes to the Jesus that is with us. Yield to his pleasure and pride in you rather than your fixed opinion of you. Let's let's flush shame this morning and let's embrace his pride and pleasure in us. Let's yield to his hope of great outcomes in bad situations. Can we do that? Can we partner with the one who's in us, who's on us, who's for us, who's with us and never leave us, never forsake us, never let us go, who's always working for our good. Father, we just want to thank you that you are here. You're in us. You're on us. You're cheering us on. You embrace us in our most difficult spots as well as our glorious spots. You are loving us, celebrating us. You have lots of happy, gooey, fun emotions about us right now. And we welcome them. We yield to your thoughts and your ways. Jesus' name, amen.